Hello, I'm Michael Williams, Artistic Director of Sydney Writers Festival. I hope you enjoy this conversation from our podcast series. Well, hello and welcome everybody uh, to this fabulous session at the Sydney Writers Festival. Uh, may I first just start by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of this land, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and future. Without further ado, Leanne Moriarty, I don't know quite how to begin, she's a number one uh, bestseller around the world. 20 million copies of her book sold, a staggering figure. Um, books that have also been turned into star-studded uh, TV series with Hollywood talent. Nine books now in total. Um, and they come out, and as you all know, whoosh, they're gone from the shelves. And I think I know why. It's pretty brilliant storytelling, fantastic plotting and the wonderful characters, the familiar scenes, I think, and the first-class voice she brings to it. In short, she's a superstar. I'm very happy to welcome her here to the Sydney Writers' Festival, and if you could welcome her too. Thank you. Now... So to start, Apples Never Fall, Leanne, do you play tennis? <laughs> uh, I did play tennis as a kid, so growing up, tennis was definitely um, part of our lives. Uh, if we had a picnic, we'd go somewhere with a tennis court, uh, and my grandmother was part of the, a tennis club, so, uh, and my mother was, so th there was always the tennis ladies, uh, and grandma played until she was in her 80s, so she could still be at the end of the court and she couldn't move much, but she could make you move back and <laughs> forth across the, across the court. Uh, but tennis came about really because my son uh, is getting quite good. Uh, and so I was trying to have a lesson because he started to beat me. So I was trying to keep up with him. And while I was having the lesson, I was thinking to myself about this family. So I knew I wanted to have... Um, a family in this book, and I was thinking I'll have them, um, I'll have them run a family business. And as I was having this lesson, I thought, uh, I know I'll make th I'll make them have a tennis school. And so then that was that. And then as the days went by uh, with my writing, then I was thinking, well, I guess if they run a tennis school, they're really into tennis. <laughs> um, so I'm going to have to learn about tennis. So then I started talking to tennis players and to tennis coaches. And in fact, it was good because then with my own tennis coach, uh, we'd stop uh, playing and there was a lot of chat just at the, <coughs> at the net. Um, and then I remember talking to a young man who'd just given up his tennis. So he was an excellent player. And he was, I was so struck with the fact that he was clearly still grieving uh, the, his, the loss of his career. And he was still talking about... Um, I mean, his mother still had a sort of shrine of all the tennis trophies, and he was saying how he couldn't watch the tennis because sometimes he'd see some of his friends who were um, still playing. And that just got me thinking how um, if you have the talent and you've done all the hard work but you don't make it, what then? And which is the case for the majority of... Players. So he was a sort of semi-professional who hadn't yes. quite made it. Yes, or who, who made that decision? No, I'm going to, I'm going to have to let it go. 
Um, and how good did you get while you were learning how to write this book? <laughs> good at tennis? No, I didn't get no. I'm, so it's all over. No, I'm not. I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> and what about your son? Did he continue on? He's good. Yes. Yeah. But he's no. It's not. I'm not. A, uh, I'm not like Joy and Stan. No, I was In the book, I'm not dreaming of seeing him at, at Wimbledon one day. <laughs> now, many of you will have got the thrust of the book if you haven't already read it. The idea is that there are these two retired tennis coaches, Joy and Stan Delaney, and I. I won't do any spoilers because I know many of you will want to buy the book and read it, um, and I'm not fond of spoilers myself, but clearly it's not all about tennis because it's a Leanne Moriarty book and what she does best uh, are thrillers and mysteries. Mysteries, I think, more than thrillers, I would describe them as. But you have, I, I think I can say this, a woman goes missing, her husband becomes something like a suspect, and they have four children. Now, I thought, Leanne, that's a brilliant setup because each of the children are going to react differently. Some are going to be on the side of dad. Some are going to feel like that's betraying mum. Do you deliberately set it up with so many kids, four as opposed to one or two, to create that sense of drama that runs through this book? Yeah, exactly. So, so the premise was, um, how, do you, how would you feel if uh, your uh, mother went missing and your father was the main suspect? Uh, and so that's normally I come up with a premise and if I keep thinking about it, then I think, yeah, I think this might work. Uh, so then thinking, so how would I feel? But then how would my siblings feel? And then, yes, if you have multiple siblings, they can, you can form factions uh, <laughs> and some can think, uh, which is the way it is with all families. Uh, yes, you don't need a murder. You can have factions anyway. No, exactly. Anyway. That's right. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, so I would, I would have liked more, but um, I get complaints about the number of characters in my in my books anyway. I could, sure. I could have done six. Well, <laughs> people say they can't follow? Or? They can't keep up with the characters, so I've seen... Um, some, some people do little um, lists of all the characters at the, the front of the book to... to and did them. you decide ahead of time, this person will believe him and this person won't? Or, did you, or does that evolve as you're writing? It evolves as I'm writing, yeah. It, I just knew that they couldn't, they couldn't obviously all think the one, the one thing. And when you were writing it, did you already have in mind at the beginning, is he guilty or not? Or is that a decision you make further along? Yeah, I, I never know. So I, um, I prefer not to know if he's innocent or guilty. I, it's the same with Big Little Lies. I knew that something was going to happen at the school trivia night. I knew somebody was going to die, but I didn't know who was going to die um, or, or who he was. So my sister always says... Um, that she said to me, I was so surprised when this happened. And I apparently said, yes, so was I. Um, <laughs> so, and I love it when that, when that happens. Um, so how does that happen? Are you, well, tell us a little bit about how it works for you. So you're sitting in your, your writing, you've got your idea, you've got your, your retired tennis coaches, you've got your four children. You know a little bit about the way the plot's going to work? Uh, all I knew was that she would go missing. And I also knew that there would be a knock on the door late at night um, from a young woman. And that came from a newspaper article I read about an elderly couple who... Uh, that literally happened. And she had, was injured and they let her stay the night. And there was a subsequent uh, criminal case, which has got nothing to do with my story, but I just thought 
um, yeah, that's an interesting premise. Uh, so I've got my missing, missing woman and somebody knocks on the door. Now let's see what happens next. And are you the kind of person who, when you're going through uh, media, are collecting those little snippets as you've just described them and thinking, oh, that's not a bad idea? I, I asked because yesterday when we talked to Dervla McTurnan, her latest book, The Murder Rule, is about the Innocence Project, and it was interesting to her because she had come across a snippet on the Innocence Project and decided that's going mm. to be my next book. Oh, yeah, all, all the time. So not necessarily crime. So what Alice forgot was um, an article I read about a woman in the UK who lost her... She had an accident and she lost her memory and she believed that she was a teenager when actually she was a middle-aged woman um, with young children. And what I loved about that was that she wasn't um, particularly interested in her children because it was like she went back to her teenage self. So she was like a grumpy teenager. Uh, and that's what got me thinking about how if you lose your memory, it's like time travel because it takes you... When memories make you the person you are. So if you lose those memories, you'd go back to being your former self. And when you pick one of those little snippets out of the paper or um, you see it around the place, does it become like the seed of the story and then later on you can't even remember that that was the seed of the story? It disappears entirely or does it always grow in the, you know, like little things, big things grow like the super <laughs> No, you definitely forget where it came from. And sometimes I'll look back at something or old notes and realise that um, it came from, um, from some particular article or I just forget completely. That the, mm. that, that was yeah. the genesis of yeah. the story. Um, besides being a missing, well, missing person's case is one thing, but this story is also very much about sibling rivalry. And I'm, I'm really interested because obviously uh, you have a family of five siblings. You, oh, yes, I, I've got five. You've six, got five, six you, of us. There's yes. six of you, there's yes, five yes. siblings. So tell us about your, your childhood growing up. Did you, did you experience that kind of rivalry? Well, I'm the eldest, so there's no need for rivalry. I just get... Um, <laughs> I'm, ju I'm just the boss. Yes, I'm yes, just the boss. The first and the favourite. Yes, that's yes. right. Um, which my sisters would all agree with. Uh, <laughs> uh, what we do say, uh, and which is really true, is that there's no rivalry um, in regard to our success with our books, but there is a lot when it comes to family anecdotes. Okay. So if um, my mother's on the phone to me and she starts telling a story, then I would say, stop right there. Um, nobody else is getting this. Um, <laughs> I want this so I can start taking, taking notes. Uh, and we have been annoyed with each other when we've read each other's books and said, you've taken the story of um, when Grantfee proposed or, or whatever, so just little, because we all obviously have similar lives and every author's calling upon everything that's ever happened to them and too many similar things have happened to us. Have happened to you. Mm. There, there was an interesting article, I think, in the New York Times magazine last year called Bad Art Friend. Oh, which, yes. Yeah, which I'm sure you read. <laughs> yes. um, and the idea was, for those of you who didn't have a chance to read it, it the article went viral. The idea was that uh, um, two friends had been part of Facebook group um, and one of them had used their experience in that group to write a short story and had written it. And, and there were people who felt that it was wrong to use examples from your real life or use content from your real life, people that you really know, 
in your work, but clearly you, you have to. You, you do without even realising that you are. But if, if you're taking an actual um, event or something that would be so clear to somebody that you know, I would always ask permission. I don't know, I wouldn't ask permission if it was my own family. That's right. <laughs> well, you're the boss. <laughs> yeah, that's you right. Said. Then that's it's right. all up for grabs. But if it's a friend, uh, the, yeah, the bad art, that was pretty bad because it was very obvious. Uh, and she, what did you think was bad about it? Describe why you thought she, Who did you think was the, did the wrong thing? Well, she was clearly making a... She was satirising her friend in a very... I mean, she was up... I can understand the desire. She should have given it to somebody else um, because it was, it was right for satire. Um, so I but, think for, for those who, don't, who didn't read it, I think the premise from memory was that she had donated a kidney, hadn't she? One of the friends yes. in the group had donated a kidney as an altruistic act and had filled up the Facebook page with how wonderful she felt about it and how brilliantly the patient was doing and seemed to be wanting to attract a lot of attention. So one of the other friends in the group wrote a short story about a woman who donates a kidney and was scathing, yes. just scathing mm. about what a, what a show-off she was and all of this. And, so, and people who read the article were very divided as to who was in the wrong because donating a kidney is, in fact, a really yes. nice thing to do. And she donated a kidney. Give her a break. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It yeah. is a really nice thing to do. But the other friend who was the writer said, I'm entitled to use that and I'm entitled to satirise her. What do mm. you think? Well, there are no rules for life. Uh, there's only what you think is morally uh, right or wrong. And she knows it was it was mean. Um, it was mean, yeah. It was just mean. So, so if you're just back in the schoolyard uh, and one friend was being really show-offy about giving away a lunch, her lunch to another friend and then you went and told a nasty little story and said, I'm so good because I gave away my lunch. <laughs> it's not nice. <laughs> Have you had experiences, Leanne, where you've gone to somebody and said, I want to use that, and they've said no? Uh, no. Sometimes, sometimes you might have a friend who'll start telling you something and say, you can't use this. <laughs> and I always, feel, I always feel like I would never have done, um, done that, if, you know, some, something deeply personal. But I think the things I um, uh, ask for are just little things, you know, so for example, in Apples Never Fall, um, I was just at dinner with a friend and she was just talking about how her dog is entirely unaware that he's a dog. Um, okay. Right. And I just loved that whole um, idea and said, can I please use your dog? Uh, and I've always put in the acknowledgement, so I always acknowledge that, <laughs> that Cherie's dog um, made it into Well, most of our dogs fall. are human now, aren't they? My sister's mm. looking after her, her daughter's dog and she said that it can talk. The daughter told her it can talk. <laughs> she's like, what do you mean it can talk? Apparently they have these mats where the dog will now stand on certain parts of the mat. That means I need water oh, and that really? means I need to go outside. And <laughs> she, she, my, my sister grew up in the kind of home where your lo dog got locked outside, so she finds it <laughs> a bit. Did you have anyone in your family who wanted to use the tennis? Any of your sister, writer sisters? No, I don't know. They, they don't, haven't no, scolded okay. you for no, using the tennis? No, no, um, Speaking more broadly about your body of work, the nine books, you write about, um, you write about murder 
and you write about uh, violence, domestic violence um, and coercive control, but also about some of the other dynamics that we see in family. Sometimes the influence of your family can be really positive in your life. It can be very warm and at other times it can be quite malign um, and there can be negative consequences and bullying. What is it about these themes that intrigues you? And, and for example, some of your Big Little Lies, for example, was very clearly about coercive control, which has come to the fore in Australia more recently. We've started to see that an act of murder isn't just a, a, a moment of rage where somebody loses control and kills the woman in, in his life. In fact, there are signs over many weeks and months and years that this was where it was headed and we've started to recognise that a bit better. Tell me why you find these themes intriguing. Um, is it just because they make good, great stories for us or because you, you feel very passionately about those issues? Uh, yeah, I do feel passionately and I'm so, uh, so admiring of what Hannah's parents are, are doing, speaking up about um, coercive ha control. Hannah, Hannah will be the... The, the mum in Queensland who was uh, burnt in her car with her children. Yes. And there was a long history there, wasn't there, yes. that, that he yeah. was heading in that direction. Yeah. Um, but also, in a way, uh, I, I hate talking about real events when, in the next instance, I'm talking about uh, fiction and using other people's stories for entertainment. Um, so I, was, I noticed that uh, Amanda Knox, after... Matt Damon just put out a movie um, which was clearly inspired by her case with the girl who went to Italy and yes, um, yeah. was accused of murder. And she was really upset. Um, because he's used because, her true story. Yes. Even, even though I also understood, because we just talked about it, that you read about things and think that's just your spark of inspiration. But that's, this is also somebody else's real-life tragedy. Um, so I never... I would never use an actual case, and I never even want to say uh, I was inspired by this particular case. Um, and I also never set out to say I'm going to write about a particular theme. I never want to say, now I'm going to write about domestic violence. Uh, I have my premise, and then often if I'm just writing about a family, then these things just naturally find their way into the story because that's, that's the reality of, of people's lives. And Big Little Lies was in many ways ahead of its time in that regard because um, it was many years after that that we saw the reckoning here in Australia and the, and the Me Too movement and the Women's March. Um, what, what feelings did you have about that movement, if any? Do you, do you relate? Um, well, how do you relate between real-life events like that and, and the fact that you'd already written quite persuasively and passionately on that topic previously? Um, I think I just, I felt, uh, I guess I just felt proud of the fact that um, I'd written about something that, that actually influenced people. So I have had people come up to me in the signing line uh, and I can always remember one particular woman who said to me, um, I bought your book and I gave it to all my friends and said, this is me. And that oh. was her way of, um, of, telling, of telling them. Um, and I've had people write to me and say, I left a, I left an, a marriage because reading your book, I, I came to that realisation. Um, so I just feel really... That, that makes up for the, 
The slight shame that I sometimes feel when I'm writing, thinking I'm trying to make this interesting and a page turner, but I'm writing about terrible things.、Um, so I often want to, even with the book I'm starting to write about at the moment, I,、um, I'm thinking, I、oh, don't write about that. It's awful.、Um, so that, yeah, that slight shame is made up. The other side of the the coin is this: the people telling me how it's.、Um, Influence them, and even with、uh, the husband's secret, I can remember that's when I took a much darker, darker turn,、um, and was writing about a woman whose daughter had been murdered. And I remember thinking, I shouldn't have. When I finished it, I thought I shouldn't have done that. But then、um, I got emails from women who'd lost their daughters, whose daughters actually、um, they'd lost them to murder, and、um, they spoke about how much my book meant to them, and actually said. Have you experienced a loss like that? Because、um, so I'd found a way to to make them felt seen. Seen.、Mm. I, I don't really think you need to worry about、um, whether or not your books are page turners, <laughs> Leanne. I think they're absolutely page turners. Oh no, turners. but、I'm, I know. But that's the desire. The fact that you're writing about something that's uh, uh, horrendous and you're trying to make it entertaining. Now I've pre-checked this question with you, so I'm not treading onto any、um, onto any territory that you don't want to visit.、Um, I know that you have a message that you'd like to send about it.、Um, so when you were finalising the manuscript、uh, for Apples Never Fall, you were diagnosed with breast cancer.、Um, could you tell us how that came about、um, and where you are now in your treatment and how you are?、Um, yes, so I'm、uh, I'm. Very well behaved, I think.、Um, <laughs> seeing as I managed to get my breast cancer treatment in between after I delivered the manuscript <laughs> um, and before the the publicity,、um, so yeah, it was, it was straight after I delivered it. I had a mammogram because、uh, as soon as、uh, you finish writing a book, that's when, as you probably would know,、um, you catch up on all your life administration.、Uh, and but I was、uh, right on time, like. Literally, I think it was a week late from the previous year because、um, one of my sisters has been through breast cancer, and we do have it in our family. Nicola had、um, breast no, cancer. No,、uh, another sister. Another sister. No, yeah, who's not one of the authors. Not one、so、of the. So we're not all authors. That、um, yes, the sisters who aren't authors do like to say we, they love it when people come up to them and say, "Are you one of the authors?" <laughs> and they say, "No, there are <laughs> there are others."、Um, And so, and so there was some there was some、uh, experience so, of it in the family. Yes, yes. And in fact,、um, when I was diagnosed, I got a card from a relative saying, "I'm so sorry to hear you've got the family curse." Right, right.、Um, so, so, but as a result, it was caught very early. So、um, my prognosis was always good. So I was grateful to my sister because I, if I put it off another year, it would not have been so good. So I、um, recommend everybody don't delay. And I understand.、Um, I mean, you've. I understand that you you had tremendous、um, experience in the health service,、um, the volunteers, the the nurses, the doctors, the specialists. There's a wonderful moment、um, where you finish your breast cancer treatment,、um, and the nurses ring the bell. bell. Yes, it was lovely. Or ask you to ring the bell. Can you describe us about? Can you describe that for us? Oh, they just have a bell out, out there at the hospital,、uh, and yes, they say,、uh, "Do you want to 
they're, they're funny at the end because they say, do you want, you don't have to ring the bell, but if you'd like to ring the bell, you can ring the bell. Did you want to and ring then, the bell? Well, then I said, I think I would like to ring the bell. <laughs> and, uh, and then you go, and then all, it's obviously something that they do, then everybody comes running like you're in a restaurant when um, you sing happy birthday. So all these people <laughs> come running breathlessly <laughs> um, and stand around and, and cheer, cheer, out the cheer you on. So it was really... A lovely, special and, moment. And how are you? Are you good? No, no, I'm really good. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm so glad. Um, now for some fun questions. Big Little Eyes came to the, uh, to the screen. Very recently I spoke to Jane Harper, who is the author of The Dry, um, and she said to me that she, they asked her, would you like to be an extra in the film? And she said, oh, yes, I would. <laughs> so she said, not everybody knows that she's an extra in the film, the one with Eric Banner, but apparently when in the opening scene, which some of you will remember is the funeral scene, and they're all sitting in the church, if you look very carefully, she took her niece and yeah. I think her, one of her sisters, um, and if you look very carefully in the front row, there's Jane and, all, and her family all <laughs> acting up a storm. <laughs> <laughs> really? Gonna, she said, I wasn't going to miss it for the world. And she had an opportunity to get a selfie with Eric Banner. So how did it work for you? Were you mm -hmm. able to, to take part in any of the filming? Did you, were you tempted to be an extra? I wasn't tempted. I was slightly tempted with Nine Perfect Strangers um, because I said to Melissa McCarthy, who um, was playing the role of Francis, um, who's an author, uh, and so they were going to do a book signing. Yes, And I right. said, I could come up. Um, in the book to you <laughs> and I said and I could lean down and say I liked your last book much better um, <laughs> so we were talking about um, which is the, the which you do hear that in the signing line there are things um, especially if you speak at a lunch where with um, uh, at a charity lunch certain society ladies who've um, had a bit too much Prosecco they do want to come and tell you um, that one dragged a little bit. Oh, do they? Uh, yeah. They do. How interesting. Yes, I liked this one, but Nine Perfect Strangers, what was that about? Yeah, um. Right, right. So that's because women get to a certain age and they just don't, they give don't care. Yeah. yeah, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. But also there's that slight uh, consumer mentality of... Um, I, I didn't like it, so I shall let you know I that I didn't like it and uh, improve next so, time. Uh, but you decided not to take the opportunity to do it? Or oh, no, it didn't. It didn't there was, then. I don't think there was a signing line. They did, the uh, yeah, no. they didn't do it in the end they anyway. Didn't do the so, no, I, and I, I, couldn't, I actually couldn't stand to... Uh, I thought that would have been funny if I'd done that, but I, didn't, uh, um, I never wanted to just be an extra uh, in the background. When, it, when a book comes to screen, um, and yours, and thank goodness that yours did, particularly during the, the lockdown mm. where you provided us with some much-needed diversions, how much say do you have about, in particular, the changes they make? I mean, Big Little Eyes in particular became an American story um, when it, by the time it came to screen. And also about things like casting. How does that work? Uh, well, I did, uh, I did suggest Melissa, um, and I... Uh, talked before about asking for Meryl Streep for season two of Big Little Lies and um, the producers saying to me, 
oh, you've become so Hollywood, Leanne, getting on the phone and saying, get me Meryl. <laughs> um, and then they actually did get me Meryl. Um, and it then did go to my head, because then, uh, then I said, get me Oprah. Um, but I, they thought I was joking. I was quite serious. I thought Oprah would have been good. Um, and, yeah, I thought Melissa... Uh, and she loves your book, so it's yeah, perfectly yeah, achievable. Yes, yeah, why not? Uh, so I suggested Melissa. But apart from that, I'm really very hands-off um, with, um, with the adaptation. So I was asked, did I want to write the screenplay for Big Little Lies? But for me, because I'm not a planner, because I don't know part of the pleasure in writing a book is finding out what's going to happen, to me there's no pleasure in uh, adapting my own work because I already know what's going to happen. I see, um, the sense of surprise is yes, gone. Yes, it makes me cry with boredom at the thought of oh, um, doing that. just rewriting it in another in another format. Um, did I read that you actually got to meet Meryl Streep or not yet? No, no, I did. You did? I did. Yeah. Yes. How the, was it? Um, oh, it was... <laughs> <laughs> this is Leanne <laughs> fangirling. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I had in my head... Um, first of all, she was lovely and charming and she actually said thanks for the gig. Um, and, all right, um, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, and I had in my head that I knew she'd recently had a grandchild and I know that had had her first grandchild and I know um, from friends and when you have your first grandchild, um, it's very exciting. Um, so I thought, I just was thinking obsessively, I'll ask her about your, about your first grandchild. Um, and so I mentioned that to her and she did show me a photo okay. of, the, of the baby on her phone, but it was... She obviously thought to herself, is this woman obsessed with grandchildren? Because then she said to me, have you, had, have you just had your first grandchild? Is that why you're going on about it? Um, uh, it was perfectly nice. It was all, she, was it was, lovely. she was lovely and charming, yeah. yeah. We've talked a bit about your success. You're obviously hugely successful, um, Leanne, a New York Times number one best-selling author and all of these things. Are you still able to live under the radar in, in Sydney as a, as a person incognito. And having seen global fame up close with somebody, for example, like Nicole Kidman, who stars in your series, what, what do you imagine that that's like to experience? And do you have a preference? I mean, I'm, I guess I'm not asking you, do you want the Daily Mail to hang around outside your house taking pictures of you in your, <laughs> in your pyjamas <laughs> as you go to the letterbox? But are, are you able to live a relatively private life? Oh, definitely. I am. I am ignored in um, in cafes and shops uh, on a regular basis, which is good because um, it's important that I know the experience of the middle-aged woman being ignored. Um, <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> I sometimes feel like I've got it now. Uh, um, I don't know that I need it that much more. Um, but you do every now and you could then. You say, don't you know? <laughs> no, who I am? no, I would. I would never. Um, I was at the hairdressers recently in Melbourne, where not my normal hairdressers, um, and the receptionist who um, was taking me to the chair, I remember I thought to myself, she, she looked so young and cool. Um, I can't remember what she was wearing, but something edgy. Um, and I was really having that uh, middle-aged woman, she's ignoring me, she, feeling. Um, 
And then as I was leaving, she said to me, oh, I'm such a fan of your books. I've got oh. all your books um, at home. And I, oh, and you're so young and cool. Oh. You know, it was just, it was really special. So that does, um, that sometimes happens. And little things happen like in the, the check-in line on some Jetstar flight. Uh, I can always remember as we were all queuing, a woman um, just suddenly leant over and said, love your books. Uh-huh. And then just kept going. So, um, and, and have you, you? You've obviously been to um, big event. I think the Oscars as well. You've been to big event. No, no, not the Oscars. No, the Emmys. The Emmys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there are, are there moments when you see what it's like to be somebody who has global fame, and you think, no, that's not for me. No, everybody was sort of keen to make sure that I knew uh, I wasn't famous going to the, <laughs> the Emmys. So, um, so before the Emmys, I was getting all these emails about uh, uh, have the process and all that, um, and, you know, a car will pick you up at this time. And just to, to let you know, you will not be going... in don't have tickets to the such-and-such-a ball. Oh. Um, and I'd never heard of this ball, but they were very keen for me to know I was not invited to the ball. And you're um, like, I only wrote the ball. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, so I wrote back, I understand. Kind regards, Cinderella. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, and then there was... Uh, it was something to do. It's to do with um, your level on the... Uh, if you're, what credit you have. So I wasn't an executive producer, so therefore um, you couldn't get into this particular ball. In fact, I did get into the ball in the end because um, there was something with tickets that, anyway. I, I've, and was uh, it worth it? No, we only went in briefly, but it was funny that I was thinking, I'm in the ball where I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't invited. And I did on the way to the, um, to the Emmys, sitting in the back of the car, uh, the driver going through all the streets and the driver was stopped by a policeman who said to him, have you got a celebrity in the back of the car? <laughs> and um, the driver said, nope. So I'm looking at my husband saying, <laughs> uh, and then um, the policeman said, well, this way then. So you have to go, go this way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Leanne, with success also comes money. And I'm really interested to know, what is your attitude to money? Do you manage it? Do you invest it? Or do you just love to spend it? How does it feel to suddenly be that person that so many writers want to be who's just shot into the stratosphere and made a lot of money? Um, well, I don't think... I'm not, I'm not a person who... Um, I'm, not, I'm not good with jewellery. I lose jewellery. Um, not so, a frivolous person, so you're not, not a big spender. I'm there not was a big spender. Really uh, the things I'm frivolous about, I do, I do like. I like um, flying business class. <laughs> yeah, okay. I really, yeah. long haul flights. I really do. I really appreciate that. And I understand. So you know, I might make somebody fun of somebody who spends um, thousands of dollars on a beautiful bag. I would never do that. That's but, not your thing. That's not my thing. Um, but I do like. Flying business class. That's my indulgence. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you about um, women in the book industry, and in particular in the Australian book industry. Um, The Dimmicks 101, the top 101 books of the year, was released the other day. And I think they said that it might have been 68 or 70% 
of the books were written by women. I've always been of the view that the Australian book industry without women collapses because it's without, I mean, the majority of the audience here today will be women. They buy the books, they're engaged, they're energised, they're politically aware, they're community-minded, they come to the book festivals, they're passionate about authors. Are you you happy about the fact that women are finally getting their due in that way, particularly in the last sort of 10 to 15 years, getting the respect that they deserve? Of course, yes. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled by it and thrilled. Um, uh, and I, I've talked a lot because uh, I've been asked the question, how do you feel about the fact that your books are described as women's fiction? Uh, and I've sort of gone on this journey in my thinking about that and how in the beginning I would say, um, well, I don't, why are they described as women's fiction? Because why are we the other? Because women make up most of the the readers, Uh, and then I always remember a journalist saying to me, so most of your readers are women, is that right? And I said, yes, and she said, is it okay to say that? And I said, of course it's okay to say that, why would it not be? And she said, oh, you'd be surprised. And then I thought afterwards, what she meant was the term women's fiction. Um, And I thought, is it sort of, was it actually an internalised misogyny that when I really resisted that term, women's fiction? Should I, in fact, embrace the term women's fiction? Because if um, men were... If there was a term called men's fiction, they, they wouldn't have... They, they wouldn't think... Did I think it's somehow lesser because it's women's fiction? Um, and should but I embrace it? The male characters are always so strong, too. I'm thinking in particular about Nine Perfect Strangers, where you took the idea of male depression on head-on. Like, one of those characters, I thought, male... Coping strategies is something that we really don't talk about very much in Australia either, um, and the brutality of, of, uh, of the, the tremendous sense of loss, of death by suicide, particularly of young um, men. Um, I wouldn't have said that it was that it was women's fiction. It's just really bloody good books. Thank you. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was coming because I, I keep I don't know I keep spinning in what I should say about that. And in the recent weeks, I've heard from a 21-year-old man who said to me, I can't believe that I'm uh, sitting on the couch while my friends are playing um, uh, computer games and I'm crying over what Alice forgot. (laughs) Um, And an 81-year-old man who said to me, "Um, I'm in love, I'm in love and my wife doesn't mind. Um, So I've got lots of... I have got... With in me. love with your books? With you... me, yeah, with oh, my with books. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. No, no, he meant my books, it's all right. <laughs> um, and, um, and I've got more men coming up at, at events saying that they like, that often they read the books because it gives them insights into, into it's, you know, women's minds. So. They're secretly yes, in your Yes, oh, yes, yes, yeah. Um, there are a lot of writing courses around, and I know that there will be many people in the audience um, who have done writing courses and are interested to know um, whether or not they're worthwhile when you're taking the first steps on your journey to become a writing writer yourself. Um, did you feel that it can it give you the confidence you need to do, or is it something you arguably need to be born to do? Do you believe that writing is something that can be can be taught? Uh, I've, so I did a master's in creative writing, and I think the best thing about it was that it gave me a structure to, uh, and it made me keep writing because I wanted to um, impress the teacher. Uh, and also it, I had the uh, other people in the course, who, so you had their support. So I, you perhaps could have achieved the same thing 
um, through a writer's group. Uh, and so really, anything. Uh, there are a whole lot of different ways. So doing a course or just having one other friend who supports you on your, on your way. Um, do you have a first reader? Do you have somebody who always reads what you've written? So my two sisters read um, the draft at the same time as I submit it. So, and we all do that for each other. But really, we have one job, which is to read it really fast <laughs> and to then send a text saying, this is a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have never written anything better. So it's really just about providing support as opposed to constructive criticism. <laughs> and so then, and from there, then it moves on to the editor who will yes. give you a draft. Yeah, yeah. And are you always fairly aware of where the flaws are in the manuscript, where you're going to do more work, what's going to have to go before you send it off? Or when you send it off, do you think, okay, I've pretty much nailed that? No, I prefer to think it's flawless. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I really want to hand it over thinking that it needs nothing, but with the knowledge that it will always need something. But if, if I had thought, oh, maybe this isn't right, then I should have fixed it before I, before I handed it in. So I want them to see things that I couldn't see and that when after I read the editorial report, there's always this process of thinking, they're wrong. Um, <laughs> and then the few days going by and thinking, well, maybe that's a good point. Um, so, and so do I'm you really mind grateful. going back to do the extra work? Oh, no, I love it because love it's it. All, it always makes it a better book, always. And do they occasionally have ideas that you think, yep, that's perfect, I'm going to add that in? Um, well, I might have some of my editors in the, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> the thing here, so. Often the, it's not so much that they say, do this, it's that they've raised an issue. Um, so I prefer not actual suggestions, it's just that this is lacking here or I don't understand this character's motivation. I always remember that with, um, I think it was the hypnotist love story and seeing a comment from a reader somewhere saying, uh, and I really got to know that character's, I really, I didn't understand at first, but then I understood that character's motivations. And I remember thinking, thank goodness my editor said, you're going to need to explain that character's motivations. So it's more, um, explain more here, or it's dragging here, cut, cut the pace. And, and the feedback after it's published, when it comes to reviews, do you read them, particularly Goodreads and those sort of where, where you're getting a lot of um, ordinary readers who are just passionate fans coming on to discuss the book? No, I haven't been on Goodreads or Amazon in years. Um, Did something so, happen? Or no, oh, it's, I think it, uh, yeah, it's, the problem is the, the bad comments stay with you forever. Um, so I always remember reading one Goodreads review where she said, oh, she just purposely makes her characters sound Australian. Um, so they're all just <laughs> saying, they're all calling each other mate. Nobody does talks like that on the North Shore. Um, and so for, now for years, every single time I hear somebody on the North Shore say, thanks, mate, <laughs> see? She, of course they say mate. Um, so things like that get stuck in your, in your head. Stuck and in it, your head. It's no, it doesn't help. It's... Oh, one mm. of the sessions I did uh, earlier this week was, was with Brian Brown, who said he was obsessively reading his um, reviews and somebody had written, it sounds like he wrote this book while sitting in the pub. And he said, and I did. did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> now, we're going to open the floor uh, to questions. 
I also, because we're doing this as part of the live and local program, have a little screen in front of me when questions are coming in um, from the audience. So if you don't mind, I'll start with, with one of those. But if there are questions from the crowd, there are people here who can assist you down to the microphones. And as I said, don't be shy. Leanne is looking forward to answering your questions. So the first one from Kim in Canberra says, do you still have self-doubt about, I, I gather, about the, write, the writing itself? And how do you handle it? I definitely uh, have self-doubt and um, self-loathing. Uh, <laughs> and at the beginning of each new book, it's always a lot of flailing about and thinking, I can't do it, I don't know how to do it. Um, I always remember talking to a cellist for Truly Madly Guilty, and she was saying that uh, sometimes she felt like she couldn't play. And I always remember thinking, how could that be? She's obviously, you know, she played for the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. How could you have those days where she didn't... Um, she literally thought, I can't play. But that's how I feel with, um, with writing, where I think I just can't do it. So the only thing to do is write your way out of it. Uh, um, just, um, I have an hourglass, which um, a friend gave me, which I turn over and say, I must write for that time okay. until the last grain of sand goes through, and I don't care what I'm writing, even if it's rubbish, I'll just keep writing till it's done. And then, uh, hopefully, you start to lose your sense of self. Um, so I'm, try I'm always trying to do what I could do when I was 10, instantly. I could just sit down and write and think, this is fun, I'm writing a story. Yeah, um, and with no self-awareness. No self-awareness, yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's just the aim and you have, to, you have to trick yourself into it. But yeah, sometimes I don't even want to double-click on the document. Um, I have to sort of sidle my way up to the computer. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's only writing can get you through. Kim from Canberra, thank you. I, I know you can hear us. We can't actually see you, but we can see your, your question. Um, and we have one other here. Have you ever heard of trigger warnings for novels? Now, this has been a big issue this year. Obviously, trigger warnings are starting to appear on novels. And would you consider it? I'm gathering that Grace from Contumba, who's asked that question, um, is concerned that sometimes she comes across material in your mm. book, or somebody might, mm. that will trigger them. What do you think? Well, I think if you're suffering from trauma, then you're probably triggered by a smell or a sound or by um, anything that goes on in your life. Um, so I would prefer not to... And I think it would be quite triggering to have a list at the front of a book that says this book has, has this, this, this and this. I would hope that the way I've written um, that you understand the characters, um, I would prefer not to have. And I, I guess, you, I mean, so many of your stories are written in a way where it, it unravels and it would be disappointing, I think, to the reader to not be able to come across and discover yes, things if I they'd already so. been told, this is what it's going to be about. Yeah. I think, and I think, I think mostly my readers know they're in safe hands. Um, they're not... No, there are particular types of books which you know are going to start with a, the corpse of a beautiful woman um, within the first few pages. Um, I, so I, I don't, yeah, I don't. It's not think, for you. No. Thank you for that question, Grace from Katoomba. Were you up first? Did I get, did I get that right? Have I got it the right direction? Okay, good. Go ahead and just tell us your name as yeah. well, if you don't mind. Hi, uh, my name is Isaiah. Um, just want to say thank you, Leanne, for... Um, 
bringing Australian authors and writers to a wild world audience and um, for like writers like myself and uh, wannabe authors um, that want that tend to uh, to want to get a bigger audience may want to set their stories in the US or UK what made you decide to you know screw that I'm going to set this in Australia <laughs> and have such a straight uh, such a great um, uh, Australian voice is that, I, think. <laughs> I loved it uh, well I definitely I never thought screw that I'd be, it's just more that um, I don't think I have the ability to write anywhere else so it's um, Place is not my strength, uh, and so I just automatically wrote from where I where I was. Apart from my children's books, which are set in outer space, um, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, that's just the way the way I wrote. Uh, and in the beginning, I would sometimes get pressure to change Australian colloquialisms to um, to an American um, equivalent. And I would always fight back and say, well, I know what the American equivalent is. I know exactly what word I should change it to. And the reason I know that is because I've consumed so much of American culture. Uh, and I think if we leave it in, then American readers will um, learn that this is the word we use, and it makes sense in context. Uh, and so the more, um, I guess with the more success I've got, the more uh, assertive I've become about that, saying so I'm, not, I'm not changing that. There are things, so for example, with the boot of a car, which I hate, I'd rather... The trunk. The trunk, but you don't want the reader to be completely confused, thinking, where, where, what, where are we? So there are things like that where I'll let it um, stay. But now I... Um, I take great pride in um, setting it in Australia and keeping Australian language, and I'll, all my books will always be set in Australia or out of space. Or out of space. <laughs> <laughs> End of the world or out yes, of space. Yes. <laughs> yes. Over here. And just tell us your name. Hi. Hi, Liana. My name's Vanessa. Um, I would really love it if you could share what it feels like to finish your novel is there a difference uh, with the different novels or is it always the same and, and even do you celebrate? It's, um, it's the best feeling in the world. It's, um, <laughs> it's orgasmic, really. Um, it's, it's a, it reminds me of those feelings when you've um, finished your studying and you've finished your, the day of your last exam. Uh, and so, you know, I normally go to... Um, a particular restaurant and have a particular cocktail, um, and it's it's that's I think that's the reason you write for that all the agony in the and the flailing about in the beginning for that moment at the end, um, and I always write the end even though nobody puts the end at the end of a novel just so I can pretend I like to, I like to pretend that I pulled out the sheet from the typewriter um, <laughs> and did my, my last page. So it's wonderful. Thank you for reminding me of it. Make me yeah, <laughs> finish the next one. <laughs> especially as you're into the next yes, one. Into yes, because I'm, I'm at Thank the horrible stage. Thank you so stage. much, <laughs> And d have I got the order right? Were you there next? Or? I think so, yeah. Go ahead then. Hi, uh, I'm Nigel. Um, I had two questions, but my main one was... Um, I'm so impressed by your plotting, even though you don't plan. Um, how do you get that plotting so intricate? In, how do you do the plotting so intricately? Do you have to go back and do lots of spreadsheets to make sure everything ties up? And I'm interested to know how you get that right. 
Yes, so I, I don't plan, but I never want to give the impression that uh, that means everything just somehow falls magically into place. So I always have to have a separate document called things I need to fix. Um, and so, for example, with this book, it became important that Stan uh, didn't own a mobile phone. So one of the first things on the list was uh, go back to the first chapter where he's in bed scrolling through his mobile phone, take Stan's phone away. Uh, and so then other things, once I know where it's going, then I can go back and I can um, misdirect or I can um, give... Subtle, I can foreshadow um, once I know. Uh, and then sometimes there are some things so, which I did love with this book, um, where there were little things, because I was taking a bit longer with this one, where there were little things. So, for example, there's a scene where a character finds um, a character's uh, banana is stolen from her school bag. And in the beginning, that was just adding colour to her her life and the fact that she had to share her house with all these tennis students. But then as I went on, I thought, oh, actually, that could mean this. And so that's wonderful when that happens because then you don't have to go back and sort of squish it into... Squish um, it in later. Yes, yeah. But there's definitely a lot of squishing and changing, but not, not spreadsheets. Um, um, and I, always <laughs> do, I remember an editor saying to me, you might need to fix this, um, check your timeline... And I thought, what timeline? Um, so, which oh, because was, some authors write 1986, yes, this happened, 1987, yes, they have yes. so they can keep an eye on it. Or Graham Simpson, who did the Rosie Project, tells me that he has a board up on his a big white board and some characters are blue and some characters are pink and some characters are yellow and he, he can kind of put the type, like he does their voices in that type and you can sort of see, oh, this character, the blue, hasn't appeared for 33 pages. So then he knows to sort of stick them in there a bit more so yes. they haven't disappeared from the plot. Yeah, it's not, it, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just every... And there's absolutely no right way to write. There will be somebody who's, uh, who needs to write in that way and for other people, um, you know, everybody's got to find their own way. Thank you so much for your question. Yes, please go ahead. Hi, my name's Sue. Um, Leanne, what I really love about your books is the way you uh, develop your characters. Your characters are so realistic. I feel like I've met them, but I know them. How do you go about um, building a character? Thank you. Um, so in the beginning, I always miss the characters from my previous book because I get to know the characters through the process of writing them. So in the beginning, my characters feel cardboard-like and I, I can't make them move, um, but I seem to get to know them through the process of writing them. Um, I often will start with an attribute of somebody that I do know in the real world. So I always remember with the character of Madeline in Big Little Lies, I wrote down um, shimmery girl like so-and-so, so it was a girl who was all sparkly, um, you know, sparkly eyeshadow and glittery uh, earrings, um, and then I wrote perpetually outraged, like so-and-so. Uh, and I had those two attributes, and then I just started trying to make her, her um, say things and move. And then through the process of writing, then she became Madeline, who was nothing like either of those two people. It was just I somehow needed those attributes to get her 
to get her going. And I'm really interested to me, interesting to me watching actors work now, that they have to build their characters in a similar way. So I, I think sometimes they will take a, a gesture from somebody that they know and, um, and they'll work on the, the walk uh, and then they'll find some, there is something magical happens that then finally they start to move. And so then I always go back to the early ca earlier chapters and change things because I think now I know um, now I know Madeline wouldn't speak like that. Now I know she'd say this so I'd, um, and give them little speech, um, little particular mannerisms. Then I'd go back and put those in. Thank you. Did we have any more questions from the from the floor? Is there? I can see somebody waiting in the wings there, but not. Yes. Hello. Come forward. Yes. Hello. Hi. Don't be shy. Hi. Um, so I just wanted to, my name's Harriet, um, and I just wanted to say thank you for in creating, in my personal opinion, the best books. I have a book club, and I sort of forced everyone to read your books and become <laughs> lovers of them because I love them so much. Um, but my question is, what do you do in times when you've experienced writer's, writer's block or struggling with creativity when it comes to writing your novels, and have you got any systems in place or practices you tend to fall back on to help you work through those times? Um, so I think exercise helps. Um, so going for a walk helps, um, doing anything else. Um, uh, going for a drive, things where you're doing something, so we, part of your mind is working but um, not fully, then I find things slowly start to, to come to the surface. <clears throat> it's very important not to take... Uh, yourself too seriously and not to think, I have writer's block. Um, <laughs> because I think then you can give yourself writer's block. So there are some days where you just have to work it out yourself and think, do I need to go for a walk? Or do I need to um, stop for the day? Or do I need to make myself write um, 500 words and who cares if they're, um, if they're bad? Um, but only you know what the right thing to do is. I always think when I um, first had a, a baby and I can remember walking up and down the hallway holding um, my baby who was crying and I was thinking, what do I do, what do I do? And I realised I was looking for, um, as if there was an actual answer that I should <laughs> be doing um, if I could find the answer. And then, um, and then I remembered my mother, who was a foster mother, would, um, and she would have babies pre-adoption, babies and she would um, hand the baby over to the new parents and say, this is your baby, you will know what to do. Oh. Uh, and so I think with writing, it's your baby and so you have to, if you sit quietly and let it come to you and be gentle with yourself, not so gentle that you think you need a month off to know also, <laughs> um, but it's completely up to you to think, I know, I'll try this, I'll try that and, and you'll work it out. We have unfortunately come to the end of today's session. Apples Never Fall. Very clever title, by the way. When did that come to you? Because it's not just... It's not no. just what you think. Let me no. say that without, uh, without no, giving I, I, too much about, about halfway through, um, yeah. And then, it, and then I was lucky because uh, um, often there are arguments with my different 
publishers about um, titles, so there were no arguments with no this No arguments, mm. well, there could not be mm. an argument with this mm. one. Apples Never Fall is Leanne Moriarty's latest book, but all of the works are wonderful. Um, as I said at the outset, there is a bookshop here at the Sydney Writers' Festival, and Leanne has said that she is willing to to sign the books. Absolutely. Um, it's been a really wonderful, warm uh, conversation, really um, thoughtful and inspiring, and I know for many of you who are hoping to be writers too and, and reach that level of success, I want to thank you so much for really digging deep for us today and having thank a you. lovely conversation. Lovely conversation. <laughs> and thank you all for coming to this session with Leanne Moriarty at the Sydney Writers' Festival. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and to rate our channel.